So uh, keep, your, keep your place in Exodus chapter 6 because that's what we're going to be. Uh, but as we go into Promises Part 2, uh, last week we were in, oh my goodness, we were in Second uh, Peter. Why was I going to say Second John? But we were in Second Peter and we were talking about promises and we were essentially saying that our position, our, our, the promise that the Lord has placed in our life moves us into a pivotal position in our faith. And if you guys know anything about the story of Exodus, we see how God promised to liberate, to free his people from the grasp of Pharaoh. And he uses Moses in, in order to do that. And then the people then, here, spoiler alert, then are set free. And then they wander into the desert for 40 years while they, look, while they are in search of the promised land. And then the promised land that had been spoken over them were, was given to them. Okay. So there's your Sparknote version of the Bible. You're welcome. In Exodus chapter 2, look, there were several times where God had to reiterate time and time again about the promise that he had over his people. And I would say this is that even to this day that God is still speaking to his people and God is still reiterating his promises to each and every one of us. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. I'm just going to read this. You guys don't have to turn there, but you guys can write it down if you'd like. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Exodus 3, 13-17 says this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the type of personality where, man, Lord, you're going to, you're going to bring me out of the land and you're going to, uh, you're, <laughs> and you're going to bring me up out of affliction. Oh, that's cool. But the part that caught me was the land of milk and honey. <laughs> like that's the type of person I am. All right, cool. You're going to bring me out of my affliction, but the land of milk and honey sounds promising. I want to, really have this be the structure of what we're talking about today. And this is my first point. The promise is not the pinnacle. The promise 
is the positioning. The promise is not the pinnacle. The promise is the positioning. Oftentimes, when we think about the promises of God and the promises that the Lord has over our lives, we feel like there needs to be this, like, we, we feel like there's this crescendo, or we feel like once we have reached it, or God has fulfilled it, that everything is going to be settled in our lives. But we serve a God that continues to give us promise after promise after promise. And so for us as Christians, we need to identify that and we need to essentially put ourselves into a position. We need to think about the positioning that the Lord has placed upon our lives, not thinking that it is going to be the pinnacle or we're trying to strive after this pinnacle, right? Because we have talked often about just the Western philosophy of the American dream and how we think that God's promise ties into that. Of the things that need, the things that we need specifically in our lives, or the things that we think need to be present in regards to the stereotype: a certain amount of money in our bank account, generational wealth, house, cars, kids, family—all these things. Like, don't get me wrong; those are good things, and those are things that we are supposed to steward after. But it's not the pinnacle in our lives. Just because we reach something or a threshold is not the end-all, be-all of Christianity. The promise that the Lord has in our lives puts us in a great position for us to succeed, not just internally, but externally as well. So a couple of words before I get into story time that I want to bring to your attention in the scripture that we see is we see three words that aren't really mentioned, but it's fulfill, fullness, and faithful. Fulfill, fullness, and faithful. So the definitions, really quick, and I'll repeat them over so that I can have you guys who are taking notes can catch it. Fulfill is to bring to completion or reality. To achieve or realize. Fullness. And I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll draw back to it, you guys. Fullness is the completion of, to make something complete or whole. <clears throat> Faithful is remaining loyal and steadfast. Again, fulfill, bring to completion or reality, achieve or realize. Fullness is the completion of, to make something complete or whole, and then faithful is remaining loyal and steadfast. So um, I'm just going to take apart one word specifically, and that's the word fulfill, right? When it comes to promises, oftentimes promises make sense when it either fills or makes us full. That's when promises... Um, that's when it all makes sense. When we get our fill or it helps make us full, right? But then what about the fullness and the faithfulness that comes from a promise as well? Growing up, uh, my parents used to come into my room and have to tell me, hey, John, will you clean your room? Nowadays, I don't have to, right? Because I'm a grown-up 
Um, I have to take care of myself. I have to, um, I have to consider the equation that's at hand where if I have a messy room, oh, my mom and dad aren't going to clean my room for me anymore, so I have to do it, right? But my mom and dad would always come into my room growing up and they would say, John, okay, look, look, I know that I tell you guys not to call me Johnny, but I have to use it in the reference in which my mom, my my mom and dad would say, and they would say, Johnny, would you clean your room? And I'm sure that many of us growing up had the same thing. Look, if you were wired differently and you were just the clean, tidy, obedient, always just cleaned your room because it was messy, praise God, we need more of you guys in our lives. But I'm sure that I'm speaking to all of us, where, or most of us, where we, you guys share the same story as I do, where uh, parents would come into the room and say, hey, will you clean your room? And what was our immediate response? I will. I will. And we look at them with a smile and a grin, knowing deep down inside we wouldn't, right? But yeah, will you clean your room? I will. And then what would end up happening is my parents would not just come into my room two times. They'd pro- they wouldn't come in just three times. They'd come in multiple times, four or five times, knock on the door. Johnny, your room's still not clean. Will you clean your room? <laughs> oh, yeah, I will. Let's look at this passage because oftentimes when we say we will, like to the nature of our heart, like there's good nature that is extended and we, we, we will, right? And and when somebody asks us to do something or to keep a promise or to make a commitment, um, the natural inclination of our heart is good natured and we will, right? But I want to see the promise that God keeps with his people and how he reiterates the statement, I will, over and over again. So let's just start in verse 1. But the Lord says to Moses, now you should see what, here we go, underlined, I will do, I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Look, there's this term in modern day society that a lot of people say, I am him. Right? You guys, if you guys watch sports, like when somebody scores a touchdown or they make a game winning <laughs> bucket or, 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 or they hit a home run, they point to themselves and they, they yell into the camera and they say, I am him. But here, as God speaks to Moses, he says to him, I am the Lord. Right then and there, man, God could just mic drop. But God says more in the beautiful nature of how he begins to explain to his people because he has a care for his people and for his children. God says more because it's a proclamation of who he is rather than a petition of who he's trying to make himself out to be. We see a beautiful proclamation. Not just that, but look at this particular passage in regards to verses 1 to 9. Look at how he says, 
Look at how he says, look at how many times God says, I will. God says, I will, in four sentences, eight times. I will, I will, I will, I will. And in the story that I just told in regards to the reference of me, right? This just shows the difference between human versus God. And God didn't need to do this. But again, he was just mindful of us. And God was more concerned about us realizing what he was actually doing. And so he was saying this, I will, more for, again, the proclamation of who he was and what he was going to do, rather than just trying to meet our needs. And then also, if you see this too in the in, in, in the, the one, uh, in the sentences here, one through nine, how many times he references, I am the Lord? He says it three times. Look, I'm not going to go crazy in the symbolism or the, or, or the amount of numbers that, or the, the, the amount of times that this is referenced, but three is a pretty significant number. Why? Because um, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And then when Jesus approaches Peter again, how many times did he tell him to feed his sheep? Three times. Three times, right? And this is the Lord presenting himself saying, I am the Lord. But as we see here in the I will statement, as God is saying these things, look, he says it eight times. Seven is what? The number of completion. And then he says it again. And it's almost as if God is saying this in the most intricate way that, hey, I'll do it to, f- I'll do it to the fullness and then some. Because in these, in just mere sentences, he says, I will, I will do this, I will do that. And we'll talk a little bit about that over and over again. In verses, in verse three to four, it says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. If you guys look at Exodus 23, it displays this promise and the fulfillment of the promise of what God had intended to do. And then verse five, continuing on, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. This leads me to my next point. Despite who and where we are, God has remembered his covenant. Despite who and where we are. Look, the people of Israel were groaning. And rightfully so. Do you think about the scenario in, in which they were being held as slaves and they were in bondage? And God said to them, I have remembered my covenant. And you play an intricate part in the story, in the grand scheme of the narrative that is being told. Oh, but we'll get to that narrative and we'll look at the reflection of it and the beautiful nature of it. But despite who and where we are, God has remembered his covenant. I think some of us really need to hear that and process that. 
Like despite who and where we are, God has remembered that covenant. That covenant that he has kept with you. Now look, because we come from different walks and tribes of life, the covenant that I have with the Lord is maybe a little bit different than the covenant that you have with the Lord and the covenant that you feel like the Lord has kept with you. But here, the people of Israel, their covenant, their promise was that they were going to be set free from bondage, that they were going to be set free from slavery. And this is the promise that they had with the Lord. In verse 6, it says, Therefore, say therefore to the people of Israel, again, the reference, I am the Lord. And this is where we start to see the I will statements. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So let's just talk about, let's just pause right there and let's just talk about redemption really quick, right? Like redemption is oftentimes this glory moment, this aha moment where we particularly think that in our lives we need to strive from here to there, that there needs to be some type of achievement. Redemption is the value in which we are able to prove ourselves. But nothing about redemption here is about the people of Israel. Redemption is about how God stretches out his hand and he saves the people from bondage. He saves the people from slavery. And everything had to do everything about redemption has to do with the wonder-working power of who God is. So let me just reference this statement. True redemption is understanding that it's God's dealings for the sake of his people, rescuing them from danger and fostering the conditions in which their faithfulness may flourish. So would you be called to be a product of good stewardship in an ark of redemption? Of course, because that's every single one of us. We are called, right? If we, it, we, we talk about purpose and it is ultimately to bring glory to the name of the Father. It is ultimately to bring glory to the name of God, the name that is most high. That is our purpose in life. And so, yes, redemption has everything to do with the Lord, but we are a product of that. And so in that, there is good nature in which our faithfulness may flourish. Redemption has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with the Lord. God then continues and he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to you, Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So let's just do a really quick uh, review. In this passage, one through nine, God says, I will do to Pharaoh. He says, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land and I will give it to you for possession. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, continuing in verse 9. But they did not listen to Moses because their broken spirit and harsh slavery. 
So we hear the story of the people of Israel being um, enslaved, enslaved, they're captive, um, they're in bondage, and they have really no hope. But God instructs Moses, and he says, you're going to be the person that initially sets my people free. And this is the promise that I have placed in your life and in the people of Israel. And I will give you, I'll deliver you into the promised land. And here, the beautiful thing in the narrative of all these things, that our story from the people of Israel is not much different. Like our stories are very similar and they go pretty much hand in hand. And then as we review verse 9, Moses, as he spoke to the, thus to the people of Israel, they did not listen to Moses because, they're, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Anybody here have a broken spirit because of the things that we've been enslaved to? Right? That's... For those who want to admit it, that's pretty much us, right? But this is the good news. Because very much like the people of Israel and how God would set his people free from bondage and from slavery, God fulfills his promise. And everything about this narrative is essentially the point to Jesus who would come and he would set his people free. That we would have total liberation in Christ by the blood that he would set upon that cross. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Because we are people that are inhabited in bondage. We are people that are enslaved to the ideas and to the things of this world. But because of Jesus, we have a second chance. We've been set free. And this shows in just the, just the narrative about how God would, uh, would keep his promise to the people of Israel. He would set them free and he'd deliver them into the promised land. And then for us... In our sin, in our shame, in the things that would hold us captive, Jesus would set us free. And he would deliver us into the promised land. What is the promised land for us? That's eternity in heaven. And so we see this story and we're just like, man, this is a cool story. But that cool story that we see how Moses would set the people free. Man, we see this cool story about how God would use Moses to set the people free. And that, that they would travel and they would go through this historical arc and they would go through the Red Sea and into wandering and then eventually into the promised land. We see this story. And it's not just a cool story. Man, this story is for us. Because before we confess our lives to Jesus and we may and we confess with our heart and our mouth. We were like the people of Israel, just wandering aimlessly. But there was a promise and there was a commitment. And as we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, He liberated us. He set us free. And He has given us a second chance. And this is the hope and the promise that we have in Christ. And this is where I'm saying, look, look, in our lives, us just simply confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior is not the pinnacle but it positions us to excel in everyday life. And it allows us to share the gospel of Jesus with others around us. And it helps us be excellent stewards in our everyday life. And it it excels us and it helps us continue to see the covenant that the Lord has placed 
upon each and every one of us. So to end, what is that covenant? What is the thing that the Lord has promised? Man, I'll tell you as simple as this, the covenant that the Lord has placed in my life is not, oh yeah, John, you'll find a wife. Oh yeah, John, you'll have a family. Oh yeah, John, the church will be great and it'll grow and it'll be big. No, those aren't the, those aren't the covenants that keep me fueled in my life. The covenant that fuels me in life is knowing that I have a God that loves me so much and he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And man, look, I'll tell you time and time again, I am the chief of sinners. Like Paul would say that I am the worst of the worst. Man, if you guys knew how my brain would operate, right? And this is the reason why I just am so madly in love with the Lord. Because he frees me from those things. He frees me from my way of life. And he says, John, I'm going to give you a new life. And the promise that fuels me to this day, the covenant, the promise that the Lord has kept is knowing that after everything is said and done, when I take my last breath, I'll be in eternity with our maker, with God, our father and our Lord Jesus Christ forever. And I hope that that promise would stem with you guys as well. And it helped position you to the full extent of which God has called you to. As he has made these I will statements and he references that I am the Lord. I want to bring attention to the statements that Jesus then would say in the New Testament. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Jesus would speak in such a way, intricately, to the present generation in which he was speaking to, because he knew the audience in which he was speaking to. If Jesus were to speak like this to the people of Israel during the time of captivity, could you imagine? I don't want to hear those things. And so the promise that Moses, that God would keep with Moses to deliver the people spoke to those people right now or to the people then. My question to you today is what is the promise that the Lord has placed upon your life? And how is he continuing to share and speak to you? Some deep reflection as we just conclude this time today. Lord.